0: Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. I appreciate Harvey preaching for me last week, and here Ian Bennett preached for me in the eight thirty service. And uh, he, uh, right now, Ian is at Straight Bayou Baptist Church, west of Midnight, Mississippi. I mean, that's like a major metropolis out there, you know, but anyway, he's preaching there today uh, for that church, too, so we need to be in prayer for Ian, so Lord, I pray for Ian, bless him, God, as he preaches today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, hey, can we get the house lights up? There we go, thanks, thanks, Michael. So, today, um, let me just tell you, um, I, <laughs> oh, man, uh, every Sunday, um, and Wednesday, and every other, but uh, you know, when a preacher, a pastor goes on vacation, the desire is that before you leave, that you have, I left on Saturday, Ian and Harvey preached for me last Sunday, and then I was going to be back this Sunday. So the desire is that when I leave here, I've already got this sermon ready, so that I don't have to be working on my vacation. It didn't happen. I, it just didn't happen. And I'm not having a pity party here. Please don't misunderstand me. But it was just like it. it wasn't. It I, it wasn't buttoned up when I left. Uh, when I left last Saturday, and so all throughout the week, I was just constantly thinking about you and praying and continuing every morning getting up early. You know, I like getting up early anyway, but get up early and go sit on the balcony, listen to the waves and all that kind of stuff, and have my quiet time and stuff, and drink my coffee. And but then kind of getting back to the sermon at some point during the day, coming off the beach for an hour or so, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, what you do, you get back to your condo and eat a little something and get back to the beach or the pool or whatever. That's all we did. But but then, you know, pull, out, pull away for an hour or so and just kind of get back to this and start digging some more, praying some more, working some more. Because the weight of what I really believe we're about to do for the next six or seven weeks. And this message today and then the other messages that I believe the Lord's going to lead us to over the course of this sermon series that we're going to start today. So, uh, just kind of let you know, and that's why I was thinking about you all week and and looking forward to our time to be together and stuff like that, but this this sermon today, the title of the sermon, maybe a sermon that's never thought about this, but the title of the sermon is I Don't Believe This Stuff Anymore. (laughs) It's a weird title for a preacher to, I don't believe this stuff anymore. So let me just kind of jump into this thing. Let me give you some names. Now this, this group may, may recognize some of them. I know some of you will recognize some of these names. There are a few people at 830 that recognize these names. So let me just throw these names out to you and then tell you why I've got them here. All right, here, here we go. The first name is Derek Webb. Second name is Kevin Max. Third name is John Steingard. The next names are Michael and Lisa Gungor. Two more names. One more, uh, this name, Joshua Harris. And then the last name is the name Abraham Piper. How many of you recognized any of those names in that list? Raise your hand. All right, a few, a few. All right. Let me tell you these names. All right, Derek Webb. Back when I I was in youth ministry for 17 years, and in the 90s I was a youth minister at a couple of different churches and churches. so there was, a, there was a, a music group called Cademan's Call. Anybody remember Cadman's Call? All right, so Cadman's Call was kind of one of the, that was back in the early days or kind of really the, when I, I believe Christian music was really kind of taking off. And, and um, you had a lot of groups coming together and a lot of, and so Cademan's Call was real. So, man, I played their stuff with my, my youth group at, at, at First Baptist Brookhaven and Cademan's Call. So Derek Webb was their lead singer. At that time, I mean, just, you know, I mean, lead singer, caveman's call, just awesome stuff. Derek Webb now uh, is a drag queen who calls himself, quote, Flamey Grant. Play on who? What name? Amy Grant. Now, y'all all all recognize the name Amy Grant. So he, he calls himself Flamey Grant. You go Google it. Go look up Flamey Grant and see what pops up. Maybe I shouldn't recommend that. But anyway, uh, Derek Webb. So his second name seven, second name is uh, Kevin Max. Kevin Max, lead singer. Again, 90s, my youth ministry days, DC talk, baby. What will people say if they hear the name of Jesus? Free, right, so, you know, so that, I mean, that was kind of the song that all of our youth groups. Man, we all say Jesus. Free? Well, Kevin Max was the lead singer of them. John Steingard was the lead singer for a group that's a little bit a little bit more uh, closer to our time right now. Hawk Nelson, another group that maybe you're familiar with them. So John Steingard was their lead singer. Michael and Lisa Gungor were a, our, our husband and wife, but they were a husband and wife music team that produced some really, really cool, great music. I got one of their songs on my Spotify list right now. I just love their song. And then Joshua Harris was... A pastor of a huge mega church in the early 2000s, up to about 2014, I think, and and massive church. And then he wrote a book before that in 1997. Again, you, my youth ministry days. He wrote a book entitled "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," and that was back when True Love Waits was real popular and the purity culture was really growing and all that kind of thing. And so uh, Joshua Harris wrote that book, and and then uh, Abraham Piper is the son of a guy, maybe you recognize the name John Piper. John Piper, real popular, real great evangelical, strong theologian, pastor, teacher, he teaches and preaches at passion conferences with college students, uh, very well known. All of these people that I just told you, all of these people have, uh, uh, again, like I said, very strong Christian musicians, pastor, things like that. I already told you about Derek Webb he's now a drag queen every one of these other people on this list have deconstructed and walked away from their faith they have denounced their faith in Jesus they they walked uh, Joshua Harris pastor this big mega church wrote the book I kissed dating goodbye well in 2018 he came came out and said The book I wrote, I don't believe anything in the book I wrote back in 1997. I'm sorry I wrote that book. I don't believe anything I wrote it. And then the next year, 2019, he walked away from his faith. And in the process of walking away from his faith, he walked away from his wife, divorced his wife, and now he considers himself, his own words, I no longer consider myself a Christian. And everything I preached back when I was a pastor, I don't believe that stuff anymore. And all of these other people that I'm telling you about, every one of them have deconstructed or are in the process of deconstructing and denouncing their faith in some way. Now I want to tell you this, just because somebody's a celebrity, a Christian musician, big mega church pastor, the son of a very, very famous pastor, whatever, they're a celebrity, they've got a big, large following on social media, they've got a national or even an international platform, that does not mean that they are an expert or an authority on any matter. Just because of that. And yet many of these people, the folks I'm telling you about, many of these Folks that I listed have a large group of people, kids that were in my youth group back then that are now many of y'all's age with kids of their own in their forties now, were influenced by them when I was their youth pastor, and they had these guys singing into their ears, and now they're going, and now their being could possibly be influenced by these people, and 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 these former. Christian artists and pastors who are deconstructing their faith there is so much change I don't have to tell you this but there is so much change so much upheaval in our times the times in which we live right now I mean you just think of it just last just the last just The last few years, just since I've been your pastor, I promise I didn't bring it with me. I'm just telling you, but since I, I mean, I got here. Most of y'all know this. I got here, was called to be the pastor of this church. The first Sunday I preached was March the 1st of 2020. Y'all know what happened about two weeks later? COVID-19, I preached two Sundays and then shut the church down. I tell all my buddies and my pastor friends, I said, man, I took a church from 750 people to two in two weeks time, man. I, it was incredible. That's, but you think about it, pandemic, uh, supply chain issues, um, uh, political people. I want to tell you something. This is not, I, you know, I don't care. I don't care. I do not care who you vote for in the next presidential election. I will just tell you this. Whoever ends up in the White House in, in next November, it is going to have huge ramifications for this nation. the the upheaval, the turmoil, the craziness that is happening in the political realm of of our world, the economic issues, the upheaval in economics, the global unrest, criminal activity in a level and in ways that we have never seen in our life. It is just crazy. And yet all of these things are so interconnected with each other. Every one of them, they're all interconnected. We, we, don't know, we don't know who to believe anymore. The impact of social media, the influence of social media on everybody's life in here. Now, I don't ever look at that stuff. Well, let me tell you something. Your kids and grandkids are, and they will. I don't care how much you try. Right, I ain't going to have a cell phone. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. The influence of social media is just incredible. We don't know who to believe anymore. We are questioning everything. Things that we've never had to question before. Things that we would never even think about questioning. We're questioning everything now. Sociologists are saying that we are destabilizing at every level of society away from the norm which will create a new normal. And that's what's happening. And that's where this word Maybe you've heard this word, deconstruction, comes in. That's why... Can we go back to the, go back to the first uh, opening? This is the name of this new series, I'm sorry, Deep Construction. The name of the news is a playoff of that word, deconstruction. Because we're going to talk about this. Well, a pastor friend of mine... I texted or texted, emailed a bunch of pastor friends of mine. I texted Dr. Jamie Dew, the president of New Orleans Seminary. I'm going to call him this week and have a phone call with him about this thing on deconstruction. Hey guys, y'all, have y'all preached or what have y'all done? How have y'all done this? A friend of mine, Brady Canwright's pastor, and he said this, we are seeing a deconstruction of norms, beliefs, knowledge and values and a reconstruction of those things into a new framework. You think about it. You got political deconstruction, you got social deconstruction, moral deconstruction, economic deconstruction, educational deconstruction, family deconstruction, marriage deconstruction, gender deconstruction. We're deconstructing everything. And let me tell you something, church in Florida, Mississippi, you can't stick your head in the sand and pretend like, oh, this ain't going to affect me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And yes, it's going to affect that sweet little youngin' that's sitting right beside you. Yes, it is. You can't stick your head. We cannot stick our heads in the sand. and say, well, this This ain't going to affect us here. Yes, it, it, it is affecting us now. Everything is deconstructing, and or, and then we just can't, and then we can't do this either, because we have a tendency to do this. I have a tendency to do this. I guarantee you do too. We hear about these folks, Flamey Grant. Man, that dude's just nuts. He's just crazy. Them folks are crazy. They just idiots. They just stupid. You can't do that. You can, Church, you don't, you don't get to do that. You don't get to st- stand up and point your finger and say, man, you're an idiot. You're, you are a freaking idiot. Man, what is your problem, man? You're just stupid. We don't get to do that as the church. We don't get to do that. And that's what's going on here. And, and in the midst of all of this deconstruction, faith, the deconstruction of faith is one that is happening. That's a place where deconstruction is happening in a growing, growing way that I believe, I mean, it just seems to me, is growing <coughs> by leaps and bounds. The deconstruction of faith that we're seeing in people's lives. God, what are you even talking about? I don't even know what that word deconstruction means. All right, so, listen. That's why this thing's called deep construction. We sang the song that we just sang. Because the reason I'm calling this deep construction, because if we're going make to make it through this time, that we're going to be in for the rest of our lives. Do you hear me? This We ain't turning this thing around. We're seeing fulfillment of biblical prophecy right in, in the midst of our days. You go to 2 Timothy. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, and it says, in the last days, this is exactly what people will be doing. What we're seeing. And that's why we better be doing some deep construction. Because Jesus told the story that we just sang about. The two guys that built their house, one guy built a house on the sand. And the storms came and the winds blew and the rain came and the deconstruction happened. And the craziness happened and the drag queens showed up and the, the craziness went on and, and the, uh, the economy fell apart and the political, man, people going crazy and criminals everywhere. And this guy had built his house on the sand and it all came and his house fell flat. Then another guy built his house on the rock. He deeply constructed his house on the rock. The same winds came, the same storms blew, the same rain fell, the same crime happened, the same drag queens showed up, the same craziness happened, the same perversion happened, the same economic collapse happened, the same political circus happened, and yet his house stood because he deeply constructed his house on the rock of Jesus. And that's where we have to stand So over the course of the next six or seven weeks, let me tell you what we're going to be doing. We're going to be asking some of these hard questions. We're going to be walking through this stuff together. Like this, even the name of this sermon, I don't believe this stuff anymore. There's a lot of people, maybe even somebody in this room that has actually thought that. Do I really believe this stuff? Or is this just the stuff my papa and granny told me about and I'm just... I'm just in church because they said I was supposed to be in church, but I don't really know if I believe this stuff. So we're going to wrestle with this stuff over the next few... And here's the way we're going to end this. And it is 12, uh, 1158, if that's right. I mean, I know y'all always said it ahead thinking you're going to fool me. <laughs> but uh, it's actually, But anyway, here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. When we finish this thing up, the plan is to finish, go through October. And on October 29th, the last Sunday of the series, Dr. Wayne Van Horn, who's the head of the Christian Studies Department at Mississippi College, is going to come, and he and I are going to sit up here on stools with microphones in our hands and take questions and try to answer questions that you have about your faith. Now, between now and then, I'd like for you to give me some of your questions. And you can write, if you don't want, to know who, if you don't want me to know who, who you are, an anonymous question. Next Sunday we're going to have some cards. I was on vacation this past week, so I didn't get any cards done. But next Sunday we're going to have some cards where you can write them and just turn them in to You Don't have to put your name, or if you don't care if I know your name, send me an email. You can find my email on our church web uh, website. Just send me an email with a question that you got about faith, stuff that you got. I just don't get this. And Dr. Van Horn try to, and I will try to answer as many of your questions as possible. I don't want you to finish up. The, I don't want to finish up the series and your head just be spinning. And thought, that that didn't help me at all. Because this deconstruction thing is the real deal. Let me give you a definition of deconstruction. One guy said this. He said, depending on who's using the word, deconstruction can be a complete demolition of Christian belief, or it can be a critical reappraisal of one's faith tradition, or it can be an, 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 an honest acknowledgement of doubt and questions. I guarantee you that's where some folks are in this room. Honest questions, honest doubt. You've had some doubt that's come into your mind. Guess what, bro? That's okay. It's all right. It's not sinful to have some doubts, it's not sinful to have some questions. And deconstruction is not necessarily inherently a bad thing. Deconstru- Christian deconstruction is the process by which a Christian critically reevaluates the tenets and doctrines of tr- traditional Christianity and emerges with a different. Perspective on their faith. That's like you sitting here going and listening to me and seriously analyzing what I'm saying right now. You should do that. And it's okay, it's a good thing. You ought to do that. Don't just sit here and let me spoon feed you and go, yep, 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 without really going. Do I believe what he's saying? Is he telling me the truth? And that's so important. One guy said that deconstruction is a crisis of Christian faith that leads to either a reevaluation of Christianity or sometimes a total abandonment of Christianity. We're seeing both of those. So this is not inherently a bad thing. It's not something we all just condemn outright and say, man, people are deconstructing, they're a bunch of horrible people. No, let me tell you something. Asking hard questions... Questioning the status quo when the status quo is not biblical, that's a good thing. Pushing back on hypocrisy and and the lack of integrity in institutions that are supposed to be the bastions of upright moral behavior, that's a good thing. When you call out hypocrisy in the church, that's a good thing. Those are good things the application of this is that deconstruction is not a wrong thing as long as you reconstruct the right way. Deconstruction is not a wrong thing as long as you reconstruct the right way. And that's what I hope happens in this series and even today. All right, so let me tell you what we're about to do. I'm gonna just just a heads up. I'm gonna just I'll just be a heads up. I'll do this on Wednesday night sometimes. I'm gonna finish here at twelve fifteen. If you got kids and you feel like you need to go get your kids, you're welcome to go do that. I'm serious. I'm going to finish here at 1215. Alright? So here we go. All right, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. As soon as you get it, stand up. And let's read this one verse of scripture. Let's do this. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 1 18. This for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. May God bless the reading of that verse of scripture. Holy Spirit help us now as we as I preach quickly and we listen quickly you take the truth and apply it to our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks so much be seated buckle your seat belts. All right. So, let's lay some groundwork. Corinthians 1 Corinthians Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Let me, get, let me tell you about how similar Corinth, the culture in Corinth, that city in the first cent- century, how similar that culture is to the culture that you and I are living in right now today. Corinth was known for their sexual immorality. <laughs> you see the parallel there? I mean, my gosh, it's everywhere. In every way, shape, and form. Corinth, known for their sexual immorality, certainly our culture is known for sexual immorality. Corinth was known for their religious diversity, every kind of belief system in the world, Uh, same thing for us. Corinth was known for corruption in all arenas of society. Well, you think about it, I mean, you can't turn the news on without hearing about another... Politician that's done something stupid. Another preacher that's done something stupid. Another teacher that's done something stupid. Another police officer that's done something stupid. I'm 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 just, it just, you know it, you see it, it just happens. And and Corinth was known for it, and and we're known for corruption in all arenas of society. And and one guy said this. He said Paul's Corinth was at once the New York, the Los Angeles, and the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Another one said, another commentator said, described Corinth as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. That's us. That's us. And here's what Paul did. Here's what the apostle Paul did. He dove into that culture. He didn't push, you know, run away from it, stand off on the edge of it, and go, you folks are stupid for believing that stuff and acting that way and living that way. He dove into the middle of that culture and planted a church right in the middle so that he could tell those folks and show those folks the love of Jesus. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Church? So that's what Paul did. He planted this church. Unfortunately, the church floundered and struggled under the influence of all of those crazy views, the divergent views in culture. It got the church got mired down in all sorts of controversies, and those controversies were related to all those different religious beliefs. Some people believe this way, believe this way. They brought it into the church. The church got contaminated by sexual perversion. There was some dude that was living with his step uh, his stepmother, I think it was, and having sexual relationships with his stepmother in the middle of the church. I said, well, that's okay with it. if he want. Hey, if if that's the way he wants to live his life, he can live his life that way if he wants. You know that, and so they're right in the middle of that in the church that they they were compromising because they had idolatry that came into the church because when you get all of these powerful satanic influences converging in one place there's the very real danger Christian that you and I will give into temptation and wander away from the faith or that we will abandon the faith and be permanently shipwrecked and that's what we're seeing happening to it today so here's what we need. Here's the three things that we need in order to be able to get through this deconstruction and then reconstruct our lives, the, uh, our lives the right way. Number one, the strength of the gospel. Chapter 1 verse 18 that we just read. To some people the preaching of the gospel is folly That's what it says. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That word means foolishness. It means absurdity. It means madness. It means silliness. It means stupidity. People think right now that what I'm doing right now in this pulpit is stupid, is silly, is absurd that I'd stand up here and preach this gospel. They were doing it back then and they're doing it today. The message translation says, uh, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those who are hell bent on destruction. There's always, there always have been and there always will be people who think the gospel is a senseless, foolish belief system and way of life. Every person I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, all of those people are in that category. They used to believe it, or at least they gave an indication that they believed, but now it is foolishness to them. Now they've found other things that seem to make more sense to them. Some people, some of these people used to call themselves evangelical Christians. That's what I call myself. Probably a bunch of you call yourself an evangelical Christian. But now there's a new word that's been, a new term that's been coined in our day called evangelical. Not evangelical, but evangelical. I mean, Wikipedia is so popular that Wikipedia has already picked it up and put it on their website that exvangelical evangelical is a social movement of people who have left evangelicalism, especially white evangelical churches in the United States, for atheism, agnosticism, progressive Christianity, or any other religious belief or lack thereof. Let me give you a real-life example of this. Several years ago, previous church where I was, I walked into a restaurant one evening. Maybe it was lunch. I can't remember. And I walked in. I saw a guy that I knew from another church that I had been a part of. The guy's name was Neil. I walked in and said, hey, man, what's going on, man? I haven't seen you a long time. She said, how you doing, man? Doing good. Yeah. You still going to that church? No, I'm not going there anymore. I said, okay, well, cool. I said, well, hey, look. And it was around Easter time. And I said, look, why don't you come out of our church? I said, we're doing... We're doing this big Easter presentation that's coming Sunday morning. I mean, it's going to be so cool. It's going to be. A, we're going to actually depict the crucifixion we did. It was a beautiful, incredible worship service. And we had a guy, a young man, that played the part of Jesus. We literally reenacted the crucifixion, put a cross right in the middle of the stage, raised it. It was just uh, so powerful. I said, man, why don't you just come? Okay, well, yeah, I, I might do that. I said, cool. And that was it. I did not know, did not realize, did not know at that point that Neil had renounced his faith and Now considers himself to be an atheist. I didn't know that when I was talking to him. I found that out because he wrote about me in his blog shortly thereafter, the next week. I was the topic of one of his blog posts that he ran into a friend of his that invited him to this program that glorified the gory killing of a man on a cross. So at first it ticked me off. Can I get a witness? All right. So at first it ticked me off. But let me tell you what happened after that. It broke my heart. It made me sad. Do you know what I do now? Y'all know I, talk, I tell you about my prayer list on my phone all the time. He's on my Thursday list. I've been praying for him every Thursday, nearly every Thursday since then. So he can write about me on his blog if he wants to, but God's a lot bigger than his blog. But he considers himself an expangelical evangelical. And and they consider what I'm doing what so many of us believe in now the truth of the gospel to be folly, to be foolishness, absurdity madness, silliness, stupidness stupidity, so let me tell you church listen to me, don't let that make you mad, I told you I got upset right at first, don't let it make you mad, don't let that lead you to see them as our enemies because we only have one enemy, our enemy is not those who are deconstructing, not those who think that we are foolish for believing this we have one enemy, our strong Struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against Satan, who has blinded their minds and brought spiritual confusion to their hearts and lives. That's our enemy. So don't be thinking, man, there we we gotta do something about them people. No, I'm telling you, that's not it. They're not our enemies. Let it lead you, when you hear about this and know about this, let it lead you to have a broken heart for them in their spiritual darkness and their confusion. Let that lead you to love them. Let that lead you to pray for them. Because that is the strength of the Gospel. For those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The strength of the Gospel is the power of God. The strength of the Gospel gives us the peace of God that passes all understanding. The strength of the Gospel brings the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. The strength of the Gospel gives us the purpose of God for living our lives for His glory. So that's the strength of the Gospel. Secondly, the sovereignty of God. Look at verses uh, 27 and 28. Verses 27 and 28. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You look at those verses, and anytime you see the words, but God, you better pay attention. You see the word but, and whatever's afterwards is going to mean it's a shift. It's a shift. It's a shift in perspective. It's a shift in emphasis. It's a shift in, a, in, in importance. Paul is saying this is what's going on, but God says this. God says this. Verse 27, God chose, the first part of verse 27. The second part of verse 27, God chose, verse 28, God chose, verse 29, no human being might boast in the presence of God. There have always been those who have ridiculed the strength of the gospel. There will always be those who will ridicule the sovereignty of God. Because for many of those who are deconstructing their faith, listen to me clearly, for a lot of those who are deconstructing their faith, the sovereignty of God is a big sticking point for them. What is, what's the sovereignty of God? That means that we believe, I believe, I stand, I will go to my grave believing this, that God is in control. Amen? Amen? Does it look like it sometimes? No. Does cancer still happen? Yes. Did my daddy die of Alzheimer's? Yes. Do friends just drop dead? Yes. Do car accidents happen? Yes. Do mass murders happen? Yes. Does sexual perversion happen? Do kids get sexually abused? Yes. Is trafficking happening? Yes. But God's in control. And folks that are deconstructing really are struggling with that. And one of the guys that I mentioned in that previous list, I went to his Twitter page. And oh, just feed after feed, post after post after post. He asked hard questions about the sovereignty of God. If God is so strong, then why this? If God is so loving, then why this? If God's really in control, then why this? That's where they're struggling. That's where some of y'all are struggling. I started saying some of that that stuff just then, and you went, that's a question I had. That's a question I've got. The sovereignty of God. You come back to that. You stand on that. Because what happens many times is their worldly wisdom and their intellectual prowess leads them away from a life of faith and belief in a God whose ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. So the sovereignty of God Will always and ultimately triumph the wisdom of man. All right, finish this thing up. Last point is the singular message of the cross. Chapter 2, verse 2, look at that. Chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There have always been those who have ridiculed the strength of the gospel. There have always been those who have ridiculed the sovereignty of God, and there will always be those who ridicule the singular message of the gospel. To them, it is... We're old-fashioned, we're narrow-minded, we're out of touch. For those of us who have decided, as Paul said, this ought to be you and me, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's where I'm going to stay. And for them, they say that's crazy, that's out of date, you're so narrow-minded, you're so out of touch with the real world, and yet we believe and we stand on the truth, and I have the word truth in all capital letters in my notes right here, that the singular message of the cross cuts through all the competing voices of the world that scream for our attention. We're not trying to impress people with our intellect, or as Paul said, our lofty speech and wisdom. We want people to be impressed with Jesus. Amen. We want people to be impressed with the demonstration of the Spirit of God. We want them to be impressed with God's power, not our power because we ain't got no power apart from God's power. We want them to be in the way that they will be impressed with Jesus. the way that they will be impressed with the demonstration of the Spirit, the way that they will be impressed with God's power is when they see it and they hear it in our lives. That's when they'll be impressed even if they keep deconstructing, they'll still go, you know what, you're strong in your body. I don't believe like you, but man, you're strong. I at least admire the fact that you're strong in what you believe in. Even if they continue, even if they walk, if they never come back and they never reconstruct their lives on the truth of God's Word, we still must, preach and live the singular message of the cross because it's the only message that will change anyone's life. Amen? That message will lead to reconstruction after deconstruction. The singular message of the cross. So what do we do with that? Here's what we do. Church, this is how we do it. And I'm finished. Got one minute and 15 seconds. So this is the way we do it. We must continue. Number one, Pour over the message of the cross. When I say pour, I'm not P-O-U-R, it's P-O-R-E. That means you just soak in it. You pour over that message. You strive to understand the message of the cross. So listen to me. I'm about to get up in your grill light right now. Listen to me. You having your quiet time on each morning, and you read you the little verse of the day so you get a little a little taste of Jesus. You take a little you know a little pill to get you through the day. I have my little quiet time. That ain't enough. Christian, that's not enough. If you're sitting here in front of me and you've known Jesus for 10, 15, 20, 30 years and all you do in your Christian life right now when it comes to the Word of God is get you a little verse just to get you through the day, that is not enough. That is not enough. John, come on now, man. You know, I don't have time. Well, you're the one that's... You know, John, you're the one. You got the seminary degree. Look, I'm telling you, my brother my sister, listen to me. If you and I are going to make it through this crazy world that's going to get crazier and crazier and these youngins that are sitting here beside you that you cry over at night and you pray for all the time and you're scared to death right now, what's going on in this world and what's going to happen in their lives, then brother, sister, you better be getting into the Word a lot. And understand the message of the cross. Brother John, I don't know what to do. You come. Come on. I will help you. If I don't do that, then you fire me. If I'm not willing to go, come alongside a brother or sister and go, come on, I'll help you. I ain't got all the answers. But bro, we will work hard to try to find those answers. You need to pour over the message of the cross. Then you preach it and you proclaim it in your life. I'm not talking about you getting up here because some of y'all would freak out, pass out and die right here if I told you to get up here and speak in front of everybody. But you preach it with your life and you practice it with your life. You practice the message of the cross with your life. So how do you do that? Well, just think about the cross with me for just a minute. Think about the man who hung on the cross. What does the cross tell you? The cross was an emblem of unconditional love where God so loved the world. You live your life with unconditional love, even for those people that are deconstructing, even those people that are viciously and violently deconstructing and are telling us we're a bunch of idiots for believing this, you just keep loving. You just keep loving. It's hard, it's hard, but you keep loving. The cross was unconditional love. The cross was sacrifice. That means you live a life of sacrifice greater love has no man than this then you lay down his life for his friends you live a life of sacrifice and then my friends you listen to me you stay committed all the way to the end because that's what Jesus did aren't you glad aren't you glad that Jesus didn't get in the garden of Gethsemane and go ain't I, you know what i'm just not doing this i'm just i just am not going to do this Stayed committed all the way to the end. Hanging on the cross looking down at the people that put him on the cross at his feet down there, gambling for his clothes. They had just pounded nails into his hands and into his feet and crammed a crown of thorns on his head and stripped him naked in front of the whole world. And now they're down there under his feet, gambling for his clothes. And he looked down at him and said, Father, please forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. That's unconditional love. That's ultimate sacrifice. That's staying committed all the way to the end. Father, into your hands I come. It is finished. I've done what you've called me to do. I've stayed committed all the way through to the end. So if you and I are going to practice the message of the cross, that's what we're going to do. We're going to love unconditionally. We're going to live a life of sacrifice. And we are going to stay committed all the way to the end. And listen to me, church. It's going to get to get to the point where that commitment is going to be seriously tested. But He is worth it. So that's where we're going for the next six weeks. We make it. So today, the invitation, uh, you know, the invitation is just just, you know, if I believe that the Holy Spirit's here and I do believe He's here, then He's talking to somebody. If there's a decision you need to make, you need to come to Jesus and be saved. Come to Jesus and be saved. You want to join this church and help us proclaim this message, you come on, but be serious about it when you come. If you've got another decision, if you know that you hadn't been in the Word of God, that your relationship with Jesus is so shallow and nonchalant right now, you need to get up here on your knees before the Lord and cry out to Him. Recommit your life to Him because this is serious, 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 business, but he is worth it. So Father, help us now. Moments of invitation are yours. We thank you, Father, for this day and for this time and this message to help us now to be obedient to you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.